This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Ray Schaefer. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And before we find out what you're actually doing today, could you tell me, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, uh, boy. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> this is a great... Uh, and it, it all stems back to what we used to do for fun. But uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be either a car dealer or a race car driver. A car dealer? Okay. So I see cars in both of those, which kind of yes. leads to what you're doing today. So you want to be a car dealer or a race car driver. Did those manifest themselves in some sort of way? Did you try to sell cars or uh, go-karts or did you race go-karts? A little bit of both, actually. But we used to visit a lot of car dealerships. That's kind of what we did for fun. Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh and, you know, in the wintertime, you you really couldn't do much outside unless you like being cold. And so one of the things we did as a, as a family was you would either walk around the mall or you would go visit the car dealerships and look at the cars because my dad liked cars. Not so sure my mom enjoyed it as much as my dad did. but um, So I went around all those stores and, and visited them. And, and it was a really cool. Of course, we went back to the same ones over and over again. So you actually get to know some of the people there, and they were really friendly. And so as a kid growing up, I really enjoyed the experience of being in a car dealership. And I thought, well, that would be cool if you could be a – work in a place like this and actually be paid to be around cars. So that was the start of it. Of course, racing just comes from the love of, of cars and wanting to compete. That's really cool. And I actually have a hobby with my dad of looking for cars. He's been looking for his next car for like five years now. So <laughs> I'm very, very uh, fluent in walking and talking to car dealers. So <laughs> That's what we did. Yeah. Well, what was your first job when we actually got paid and felt like you had some type of responsibility? Well, detailing cars. That was, that was the first uh, for me because I was able to get close to the cars and be in the dealership. And even though it started out doing it right out of the driveway for our neighbors, that quickly grew into uh, working at a dealership as a real job and getting paid to detail cars both uh, for delivery and as well as the ones that were out on the lot just looking after them. So that was my first job. That's funny because you wanted to either work at a car dealership or race cars, and then your first job was detailing cars. So could you Tell us, what do you do today, and does it involve cars? <laughs> it has certainly involved cars. I have not stopped since that first job. I have uh, either worked, well, it was 28 years that I worked in a retail car dealership to get to the point where I am now, uh, coming up on four years with Porsche Cars North America, the importer for Porsche Cars here in North America. And I am the market development manager for Porsche Classic, and I'm also responsible for curating the exhibits in the Heritage Gallery that's here at the Experience Center in Atlanta. Okay, if you would, take us from that time detailing cars to today. Like, what was your career path? You mentioned 20, what did you say, 28 years in the dealership network? Yeah, just kind of walk us along that career path. Yeah, well, I love being in the dealership, you know, working in the service department, cleaning the cars was was the way to get my foot in the door, and I loved that. Of course, I enjoyed watching the new cars come in and go out as they were every year would, would turn over. And so I did that through high school. And then when I went off to college, I went for uh, management and marketing in Pittsburgh at Robert Morris and started there. And then in the summertime, I decided at that point to, um, to take the summer and see if I could work in car sales. And so the dealership in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania, where I worked, the Chevrolet store, was kind enough to give me the opportunity to go from detailing cars to selling cars. And I enjoyed doing it so much 
that first summer that I didn't go back to school. And so I continued selling cars, and I really was enjoying the career path I was on. Now, shortly after that, of course, I realized the value in having education. And so through Northwood University, and this was all before the Internet, they had a program uh, that you could do. It was called the External Plan of Study, where they would send you the coursework, and you would do that and send it back in 90 days. And you would go back and forth, basically through the mail that way. That was a self-study course. And so I did automotive marketing and management that way. And so I was able to keep working in the dealership in sales and progress my career that way uh, from sales to finance and insurance in the dealership. And eventually, and long story short, eventually worked my way uh, to Porsche, selling there, and eventually from sales manager then was the next promotion, and then from sales manager to general manager. And that's how my retail side of the career went for about 28 years. So now at that point, you're at, what, a local dealership in the Atlanta area at that point? No, no, actually, uh, if, to give a little bit more of the story, uh, I was still in Pittsburgh, and I was um, I had a chance to get to know a fellow who raced Porsches uh, through the Vintage Grand Prix that Pittsburgh had every year in their city park, and a visiting competitor there was Bob Aiken, who that year had just won the 12 Hours of Sebring in the Coca-Cola Porsche 962. And so I was able to go up and talk with him. I was writing an article for the uh, SCCA newsletter. And I was able to talk with him. And uh, he turned out to be a very good friend and mentor who over the years stayed in touch. And at one point suggested to me, why are you, why are you working in Chevrolet and, and Cadillac stores? You should be selling Porsche. You love Porsche so much in racing. And he said, I know a guy in Jacksonville that happens to uh, own a Porsche store. Let me introduce you to him. And so that fellow turned out to be Bob Snodgrass, who was the part owner and general manager of Brumos Porsche in Jacksonville, Florida, a great racing Porsche dealership with a lot of history and heritage tied to uh, the racing heritage of Porsche itself uh, between Peter Gregg and Hurley Haywood. And so it was just a wonderful opportunity to really combine my passion for racing along with the uh, retail sales part that I enjoyed so much. Wow. Okay. So did at that point, did you move down to Jacksonville and started managing a dealership down there at Brumos? Well, I didn't. I, I did move to Jacksonville to work specifically for Brumos. So I, I had to be flexible and uh, and get out of your comfort zone and move to a new town. And I did that to sell Porsches there. The management opportunity didn't come until about uh, three, four years later, when the sales manager left to open up another store. The opportunity opened up for me. And so that's when I was able to make that decision uh, to move into sales management. And actually, that was also a decision to sort of stop the racing part that I was also pursuing. Because not only did I want to be a car dealer, I also wanted to be a race car driver. And I was pursuing, pursuing that as best I could. And, uh, you know, of course, Brumos is full of professionals in that respect. Uh, so I thought, well, it would be smart for me to take the opportunity to to concentrate on business. And so at that point in time, I really sort of stopped my pursuit of a professional racing career and just focused on business at that point in time. Wow. Okay. A lot of cool stuff right there. I mean, you, you took an opportunity of a networking opportunity in Pittsburgh that yeah. you know kind of led you down the path to where you became a manager. Didn't happen immediately. You paid your dues and put your time in and became the manager down there. So that's really cool. Well, how did you make the transition up to Atlanta? Well, when Brumos, uh, this was about 2015, and uh, Brumos Porsche uh, was going to be changing ownership at that point in time, and it became, it was no longer Brumos Porsche, uh, became uh, different owners. And so at that point in time, 
I decided that what I had learned that I really enjoyed working with at the dealership was becoming not typical of, of really the way that car dealerships did their work. In other words, when I became the general manager in 2010, a lot of the business that we focused on uh, that I saw opportunity in were things like e-commerce, uh, YouTube channels, social media, and events, event management, and sort of engaging our customers in unique ways. Because again, Brumos Porsche had such wonderful history and heritage. There are a lot of people out there that buy Porsches that really wanted to be a part of that and have an opportunity to, to share in it. And so through these sort of unorthodox manner of uh, marketing for a car dealership, we started to get into that. And I really enjoyed that type of work. And I really found that personally that my interest and my direction was going more into in that creative side of the marketing and events, if you will. And so I decided that I wanted to pursue that. And here at, at the Experience Center at the headquarters uh, at Porsche, the opportunity was opening up with the Classic program as well as the New Vehicle Delivery program, where I was able to really take the experience that I had built up on the retail side of it and was able to bring that to a company that pretty much was uh, working in the wholesale uh, end of it and really bring that into the mix and help get those programs up and running. And so it was just a, it was just a perfect timing, I think. It just really worked out. It was meant to be because it just really worked out as perfect timing in that respect. And so at the same time, I was able to personally make the transition into the type of work that I could see myself uh, really enjoying more and more. Now, if you would, tell us, what does your job entail today in, in like a day in the week? Or you know, what's your average work week like? Well, as the market development manager for Porsche Classic, what we're doing is we're building a brand and growing the business around the classic models. And for Porsche, that's everything from a 356 model that dates all the way back to 1948, all the way up to 2006, which is the Carrera GT. That's the latest V10 supercar that uh, Porsche created. We take care of all of those cars, and they're are three ways that we do that. First, we create genuine parts for those cars so that the cars can be maintained in running condition so that they can be driven, registered and driven on the public roads. So we have genuine parts. We have classic partners, which are specially authorized dealerships that are trained in, in, in handling the vehicles as well as the, um, the engagement with the customers. And then finally, we have the classic factory restoration program, which looks after certain restoration projects for significant vehicles and models that um, will say go back to the factory to be reborn once again. And so between those three, those three pillars, we do our work in Porsche Classic. And so there's a lot to do as far as building the brand. So in a typical week, we'll look at everything from uh, the products that, that are out there and, and how do we let people know about them? How do we make sure that they know that they're there so that they can get them? Where do they get them? And how do we do that through our, our website, through our dealer partners, and through the publications that we will either advertise in, uh, talk, do interviews, uh, events that we go out and discuss and show, show the work. And so it's really an educational process. And that's building the brand. Uh, we're, we're basically talking about the work that others inside the division, uh, the work that they're doing, we, we make sure other folks learn about that so that they can see how it can benefit them, their hobby, and their enjoyment of a classic Porsche. Right, right. And it sounds like you do travel quite a bit with your role, correct? I do. I do. I get an opportunity to go out to the different events that are popping up all over the country uh, around classic cars, whether they be Concours shows or road rallies where you actually drive and enjoy the cars like they're supposed to be. Uh, or podcasts like this, 
video. Uh, it's, it really is fun to get out and see the enthusiasm. Of course, you know, the United States is a big country, so you do have to cover a lot of ground. Uh, but, boy, there's just so much enthusiasm out there for it. It's fun to be a part of it. Right. And it's such a great business model because a lot of the stuff you're doing was kind of being done to a certain extent through different restoration shops. But it wasn't done with the factory backing or, you know, necessarily with the correct parts and the history. Kind of keep it all together. You know, has a business model around preserving their heritage is a really cool thing to see come from a major manufacturer. Yeah, it is, and, and it's uh, it, the factory restoration, of course, is, is one part of that. There are, as you pointed out, there are a lot of talented independent shops out there as well. And what we try to the point we try to get across there is we want to make sure that they know how to get a hold of the genuine parts as well, so that they can continue to do that quality work and have the parts that they need to keep those folks, those customers, happy as well. So there are many different ways uh, to to get that. Let's not forget the people that love to work on their Porsche at home themselves. You know, they, they need to be able to get the part so that it fits right the first time and the car functions properly. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of education around that. It's not just inside the classic factory restoration that the, that work is being done. It's also at the dealership level. It's also at the independence. And it's also at people's garage at home where they do it themselves. Yeah, that's really, really cool. That would, I would be one of those folks. <laughs> Great. So, as a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by Career Cluster. And I also have a car-centric podcast called The Collector Car Podcast, which Ray is a guest. So be sure to go over there and check it out. That can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. So, Ray, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was something with cars and what you do today, which is a lot of stuff with cars. So looking back, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Well, you know, Greg, you kind of alluded to it. You said that I was I was patient and kind of paid my dues and, and eventually became a manager and sort of climbed the ladder that way, if you will. It really wasn't a ladder as I saw it. It was just more of a different job because it was um, – very different in the respect of the work that I was doing. But if I had to do it again and look back on it, it would be to learn to be more patient because as, as I look back on it, you might say, well, it looks like you were patient, but the fact is I can remember at the time I was not patient at all. Mm. In fact, I, I couldn't wait to get out of high school and get started working. I, I was actually in a work-study plan so that I could leave the day early to go to the dealership to do my job. You know, it was a work-study program. And I really loved that because, I, again, I just wanted to get to work. I was ready to be an adult, I thought, and go to work. And I guess looking back on it, I would, I would probably, if I could do anything again, because I, I really don't have any regrets, but what I would do is I would take more time to be a student and to just go out and, and realize that, you know, when you're young, you only really have that chance to sort of not have the responsibility. So don't, don't necessarily take it on sooner than you need to if you don't have to. And, um, again, not that I regret any of that because it, it certainly allowed me to get to a spot perhaps earlier than I might have been otherwise. You also realize that as you get older, you do have more responsibility in it to take time off, let's say, to go for a summer and work in Europe or do an internship somewhere. Um, you might not have that same ability. So I think that's probably the only thing that I might try to do a little bit differently. Yeah, that's great advice, and I've heard that so much that I'm actually writing a I do a little public speaking on the side, and one of them is called Relax, Explore, and Experience, specifically for college students, because that exactly. comes up over and over again. You need to relax. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to try to be a CEO by the time you're 24 years old. You need to explore oh. and experience. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. That was me, and, and just looking back, you know, you realize as you get older, you get there. You definitely get there, 
So just enjoy every step along the way. Don't rush it. Yeah. That's great. Well, now let's talk to the student who wants to do what you do. Now, define that as you will. Uh, what advice would you give them? Well, I think the net. I think your network is very important. So, if if you recognize that there's a certain type of work that you want to do, and in, in my case, you know, racing and marketing and and retail sales, you need to be around those people, and you need to learn from those people, talk with those people, ask advice, watch what happens, be just be friends and know what's going on. And I think. As time, as time goes on and, and people see your commitment, your sincere commitment to what you're doing, it really has a way of opening doors. And so I think when you're starting out, it's very important to pay attention to your network. You look at what you do from a social media standpoint. And this wasn't the case, obviously, when I was getting started. But nowadays, social media has become such a, a postcard of everywhere that you go, what you do, and who you're doing it with right. that... If you're genuinely involved in that, people will see it. And if you're not, and you say you are, people see that too. And so I think you know the the, the need to be genuine in, in your interest in what you're doing um, through your network. That it's just your life basically. And, and when it's genuinely your your life's work, that shows. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that is great advice because that's getting bigger and bigger as we go on, you know. So no, no question about it. Yeah, for so. sure. Well, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share? Well, you know, we, we obviously have a lot of work that we're, we're doing here that uh, people will see as, as it comes out, whether it be a, a special vehicle restoration or presentations that we're working on for events and shows. But um, personally, you know, I enjoy the experience of the net of of my network and knowing other people. And I've mentioned social media. Uh, I look for ways to potentially pull that all together as well. And I think you know, in the future, uh, books are a fun way to do that. So um, yeah, we'll see we'll see where that goes. But um, yeah, I enjoy doing that sort of in my spare time, if you will. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Well, you just took us on your career journey, and as with most journeys. Uh, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And we kind of know each other. We've met a few times. I'm a huge car enthusiast, so could you t- please tell me, what was your first car? My first car was as close to a Porsche 911 as I could get <laughs> on the $1,000 budget that I had. And that happened to be a 1966 Corvair Coupe. And that car was a flat-six air-cooled rear-engine Chevrolet. And the design of that car, if you if you haven't seen one, Google it and check it out. But it's a, it's really a pretty car, very nice light greenhouse. But the sound of that engine, the fact that it was air cooled and flat six, and in the back just like a Porsche 911, that did it for me. And uh, I was very very happy that my dad turned me on to that idea and that direction because that uh, that was a memorable first car, and I really enjoyed really enjoyed driving that through high school. Yeah, those are very beautiful cars, very affordable. And uh, mm-hmm. those are very, very nice cars. It's not the car I thought you were going to say, based on your Instagram feed, uh, the way you teed <laughs> that up. I thought you were going to say a Fiero. <laughs> that was my second car. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I have to give a lot of props to a guy that works at Porsche and still posts pictures of a Fiero on his Instagram feed. I like that a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it is funny. I do get a lot of comments about that. But one of the things that I've always enjoyed about the business in the automotive industry is the, str- is the struggles and the efforts that go in behind the scenes to make things happen. And when you know the people and you read the books and you, and you understand the stories of what it takes to get something like that, you'll appreciate the product that comes out the, under it, the other end. It may be flawed just like 
just like us. We're humans and we're flawed, and we were made by God. So here's a, here's a vehicle that's made by a committee, a group of people that go to work every day. And when you know the story and you understand their struggles and what they try to do and what they're working with and against, then you really have, you get a new appreciation for that. And I think that car, for me, the what could have been part of it, uh, I really appreciate the work that went into that. And I think that's one reason why that car really uh, strikes a chord with me. Now, am I right that you still have that car? I have. I sold that car. And a few years ago, I had a chance to buy a 13,000-mile example, probably one of the best in the world. And, you know, their, their value is not very high. So it was like one of those, well, why, why not? You know, it was like a time machine for high school, so why not? Let's let's get another one. Was it an 88 GT? I don't even know. It is. It's an 88 GT with a five-speed. It's one of the last... Um, one of the last cars built in the final month of production, so it's really okay. uh, really cool car. You got the best one, so that's great. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's your dream car? Oh, uh, you know that I mentioned the Coca Cola 962 from that Sebring win in 1986, and I've had the good fortune to be around that car. Haven't driven one yet, but the 962 is is for me. It's not a street car, race car, but boy, it is just the greatest combination of everything that Porsche uh, had up to that point and the representation not only of the car itself and the Porsche company but a personal dear friend of mine and mentor the late Bob Aiken uh, that Coca-Cola 962 is the car for me. Awesome. That's very specific. I like that. So that's Thank really you. cool. Well, one perks to some jobs is a company car, and you probably, I don't know, if, do you have a cool company car? I do. I just i just finished up with a Boxster SPDK, and I'm into a Macan right now. And I, I, I just, living in a city, I think the Macan is just the perfect city sports car, especially with the high curbs and potholed streets that we have around Atlanta. Oh, I love the Macan. Yeah, that would that's my like dream daily driver is a Macan. That's awesome. Well, you have a cool company car, but I'm going to try to get, get you an even better one. So if oh, I had all the money in the world, I'd love to get you a cool company car based on your job. So yours obviously had to be Porsche, but which Porsche? And so I went on the business development manager aspect of it. So mm-hmm. what Porsche kind of had a lot of developmental stuff done to it, kind of led the way in innovation, was really cool, had a lot of stuff going on that you might see in road cars a few years later. So based on that, can you guess yeah. which car I picked for you? You are talking about the 959, are you not? I am exactly talking about go. that. And there's a specific one. Well, I originally I was going to do the maroon one that was at the R.M. Sotheby's auction there in Atlanta mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I thought, you know what? If you're going to drive this thing every day, I want to get you one of the Canopy ones that's been mm. totally redone. So that's the car I would get for you if I had all the money. You're in the very world. kind. You're very kind. Thank you for that. I, <laughs> the 959 is a groundbreaking machine for sure, and the technology that we take for granted in our cars today all came from that. Everything down to the tire pressure monitoring system that is now required by law in every car was first tried on the 959. And that is just, uh, that car is a great example of that story I was talking about. When you look at how Peter Schutz basically freed up the helmet bot, who was the director of research and development for Porsche at the time, and basically said, okay, we're not going to discontinue the 911 like we were told we were going to do. We're going to let that car live. So you tell me what the future of the 911 is. And helmet bot and his team came up with the 959. And that car stood the test of, the t- of time. And uh, it is, uh, they only made 300 of them, as you know, roughly. And uh, it is just an incredible machine. Today, it's a Porsche classic vehicle, and it is um, one of those cars that we look after in our division. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much for taking us on your career journey today. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and Porsche? Well, from a Porsche standpoint, PorscheUSA.com slash classic for all the work that is happening in the Porsche classic division. And there is a lot to come, so you might want to check back to that often. 
You mentioned personally uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well as Instagram at Ray.Schaefer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today, Ray. My pleasure. Thank you. And I would like to point out one last thing. While you're on that website, if anybody is interested in what it does take to work for a company like Porsche, what roles are available, and what the requirements are, there is a jobs and career section at Porsche.com. And I always tell people about this that are interested in working for a great company like this to look at jobs and careers because it will tell you everything that you need to know. And uh, that, again, is a benefit that we did not have back in, in the day when I was coming out of school. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.